promoters, and welcome to episode 33 of Uncharted Territory. We are happy to be back you back with you this week for another great show. Uh, before we get into our topics, let's go around the Zoom room and introduce our panel. First of all, I'm Corey Olson. I'll be uh, hosting the show tonight. Uh, weather here in Minnesota, we've kind of hit our summer temperatures now. Uh, got into the 90s today and uh, felt good at the end of the day with a little bit of cloud cover, but uh, it was, it's getting really warm outside, so I'm glad that school's wrapping up this week and uh, we can enjoy the weather. But uh, let's go on to the East Coast and stop at Buffalo, New York and talk to Mr. Tim Dalton. Tim, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Corey. I'm doing well. Uh, Buffalo weather here, uh, we're, we're in the 70s. We're, we're doing okay. It's going to heat up though. And, and we're looking at 90s, which is rare for Buffalo. Mm. But uh, we're, we're looking at 90s and human sticky uh, probably sometime early next week. So it's gonna, it, it's definitely gonna be heating up out here as well. Uh, but other than that, things are great. Looking forward to the show. Seems we, we've got uh, some, some really good topics tonight. So uh, uh, I'm hoping it'll be, uh, be an enjoyable one for everyone. Excellent, thank you, Tim. Uh, let's go over to Virginia and Mr. Stu Lowry. Stu, how are you tonight? I am swell, Corey. Thank you for asking. It was 82 degrees today. We had a heck of a thunderstorm as I left work. Uh, lasted, uh, mm, I don't know, about an hour. Good good rain. We needed rain. The lawn was as brown as could be, uh, getting all dry and crunchy underfoot. So the rain was welcome, and now we're settling into a very Virginia-like 90s and chance of thunderstorm for, I don't know, the next three months. But I'm happy to be here. Got a great show lined up tonight. We'll see. <laughs> yes, 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 we do. Thank you, Stu. And last but not least, let's go down south from me to Iowa and my brother Chad Olson. Chad, how are things in the Gilbert neck of the woods? Too hot. Too hot. Summer is here and I don't like it. There's a high of 88 today, which is too much for me. Um, I don't know. Do any of you guys have the What the Forecast app on your phones? No, like I do, it, I do not. It, it pulls up the weather and then it gives a little wit. No, yeah, Timmy's got a Victrola phone. Um, <laughs> it's got a. It pulls up the weather and then it gives a little little witty repartee. I'll show the. I'll hold this up to the screen. I don't know if you guys can read this. Very so, nice. Very so, nice. friends, it says it is a warm effing day. The end. So, Grant, I would be. I would like you to get this app because I want to see what it's like when the weather is nice every day of the year and what it says. Um, you know, because it, it in Iowa it comments on the extreme heat and the cold. But um, other than that, it, it was nice. I got home, I mowed my lawn, took care of some yard work, petted my doggies. So hopefully they don't bother Matt Dick and Desher during the, the uh, podcast, but no promises, Matt. I'm sorry. And uh, yeah, ready to go. Excellent. Excellent. Very good. All right. Well, as we record this, uh, many of you promoters have received the uh, newest sets in the mail uh, from Phil Singer Games, whether Legends of Wrestling, Indie Wrestling, or uh, Champions of the Galaxy, the uh, specifically FTR Prime cards. Uh, we're just going to talk a little bit about the newest cards on the Legends side of things. Uh, we had the four-pack of the Ringside Personnel set. Uh, we've been talking about that for a few weeks here, a very unique set with no wrestler cards in the set, but four very useful cards to your promotion. We've got the Gary Michael Capetta updated ring announcer card. We've got the Bill Apter updated card with his press conference. We've got the referee card featuring three great officials, Dick Worley, Joey Morella, and Mr. James Beard. And we've got the uh, telehost card with Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan. 
So I'll go around the room. Uh, gentlemen, what are your thoughts on these cards? Let's start with Chad. What do you think about these cards? Chad's holding up the cards as we're talking about them. So what do you think about these cards? Oh, yes. Thank you. Excuse me, Corey. Um, no, I think these are fun. Um, you know, Tim and I were discussing, uh, we'll probably forget to ever use them. So promoters, we'd like to hear from you. How do you remind yourself to use some of these things? You you put a little, do you roll every few matches? What do you do? How do you bring in some of these guys? I would be interested. Um, just because usually when I play, I'm like, okay, got to get the show done, you know? Um, but I think it's cool. I like the referee card, not just because I did it, but uh, because it's amazing and awesome. Um, I no, I think it's cool to have some different referees in there. Bill Apter, um, I like Corey. I think you worked a lot on this one, maybe. Tim? I did, yes. Corey, Tim. I did. Good job. Strong work. Yeah. Gary Michael Capetta. Um, I don't think there's a lot you can do with a ring announcer to start with. And I really like this card. Um, you know, so I didn't want to mess with it too much. And then Monsoon and Heenan, um, Mike and Todd came up with this. And yeah, I think people will will like that if you're, you know, rolling out like a, a TV show and you want some um, witty banter, as the card says, if you want to have a little witty banter between Gorilla and Bobby the Brain, then you can do that. And, and this is kind of cool too. Um, but yeah, let us know in the, in the show comments or through email or however you want to reach out and touch us. That was awkward. Everyone just looked. That was kind of weird. Um, you know, how how you how do you use like some of these utility cards or when do you bring in Morgan Dollar or Mike Leno and the photographer card? When do you use some of those cards? How do you decide to do that? Excellent. Great review there, Chad. I wondered if you were uh, partial to Gary Michael Capetta's card. Bring an answer. Oh, no, I never even thought about that. Oh, OK. Just curious. No, no, that's right. that's, that's too much high level thinking for me. OK. All right. Stu, what are your thoughts on this uh, ringside personnel four pack? Um, I, I have used Aptor and Capetta in their black and white forms. Uh, I won't say a fair amount, but with a little bit of regularity when they came. Actually, the Capetta card, I like the the announcement and, you know, chicanery happens after, or, or not, happens after his announcement. So I, I like both concepts. I have not uh, used either one of them in quite some time, but I remember when they first came out, I used them a fair amount and they were fun. They do add something to the whole, to your fed. Um, the referee card I will probably use as well. Uh, we, was it a, did we have a bootleg referee card or maybe something for champions of the galaxy at some point? I thought we had something along those lines. Well, there have been, there's the original massive special referee card from the Civil War era, and then a few others. Um, he, then he later had a kind of a heel card, and then Scourge had a CPC heel referee card. Um, I'm sure there have been others since my, since I've been finished playing COTG, but, um, and then there have been, you know, a few here and there. Chad mentioned the Morgan Dollar uh, Cauliflower Alley Club card. Uh, Bryce Remsburg's had a couple of referee cards. So, yeah, we've had, we've had, you know, scattered throughout the, the history of the game. So, uh, I'm actually intrigued by that card the most to see how it, you know, what it can do for when in, in inside the matches themselves and what it can add and what kind of feuds it can stir up. So I'm looking forward to using that card. Promoters are gonna going are going to enjoy them. The guys put a lot of work into them. Should be fun. Excellent. Good recap, Stu. Tim, what are your thoughts on the ringside personnel? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I think as I've I've mentioned before, it's probably not something I'll use a lot of. Maybe competitive. Had, uh, you know, he's the guy I always forget to use when I want to, uh, uh, when I've got some feud matches going and, and, uh, uh, you know, it, it's usually like after the match ends, I'll be like, 
oh man, that would have been a good one to roll competitive. So, um, so yeah, if, if, if fans have got some, some, you know, ideas out there that, that uh, can jog my memory or jog our memories uh, collectively, that would be fantastic. I, I just think that these things, it's a, uh, it, it's a nice little addition to kind of round out your fed. It's, it's not necessarily, you know, in-ring stuff for the most part, but it's just another thing to give you kind of that, that whole pro wrestling feel that, that, that kind of experience of actually, you know, running a fed. So I think it's a, I think it's a really good addition. All right. Great recap, Tim. And yeah, this was just a fun little pack to make, uh, you know, kind of a in-between full sets for the legends. Um, Gary Michael Capetta used his black and white card a good amount in the past. I remember he once uh, kind of ruined a main event as it ended before it started with a DQ. Uh, but but then they came back in a cage the next month. So, you know, it kind of, you know, worked, it, worked its way out. Um, Bill Apter, I've always kind of had him around my Fed as part of his, you know, a reporter for PWI. I, I don't think I've ever actually used the old black and white card. Um, I may have it once and just forgotten about it, but I've always had, said he was a personality in my in my USWA. So I might give this card a try since I made it and you know see how it how it works out. Uh, the referee card I, that would probably be the one that I will use the most, uh, especially just having that James Beard Waterloo. Uh, you know, just great guy, and would love to have him as one of my referees. He was in the USWA for a while as kind of a commissioner uh, toward the end of the USWA around 95, 96. He was an on-air authority figure for a short time there. Um, so it'd be fun to have him referee some USWA matches. And the Gorilla and Bobby card, you know, I didn't know what to expect uh, when Todd first suggested it, but it, it's a really clever idea. Um, as I said in a previous episode, I don't know if I'll use that one a lot just because I like to kind of have the control of the, the show and the events, but I might give it a whirl maybe on my Great Lakes Championship Wrestling TV taping, uh, you know, use the local announcers, but use the card for the scenarios and kind of see how things go. You know, I might, might give it a shot. Uh, in addition to the uh, ringside personnel pack, of course, we had the three cards released for Legends Prime for this quarter. We had Bob Orton, the, the father, uh, Ranger Ross, and Scotty Riggs. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about these three legends. Uh, Stu, why don't you start us off? Any thoughts on these three? Well, I like, I really like getting Bob Orton. Um, I did not profess to hold, know a whole heck of a lot about Bob Orton other than he wrestled in the golden age or slightly thereafter that. And uh, oh, there, he, there he is, Chad, demonstrating Bob's card. I thought it was a solid drawing. I learned more about Bob Orton as, when we got the black and white version. And I always kind of liked that black and white drawing. Um, and ran just for grins, a couple of matches with him and, and, and uh, Roca, 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 which way do I say it? Roca? Roca. Roca. Who the fuck asked that? <laughs> Me. And, uh, Holy so shit. I ran a couple of matches with him and, and those two and had a good time. And he actually won a match against Roca. And uh, I think I'm going to enjoy having Bob Orton around. I was never that much into Bagwell and Riggs when they were active tag team, but it's a good addition. And I'm sure promoters are going to love having a new card. Ranger Ross, I don't profess to know a whole lot about, but happy to have another member of the LWF roster. Uh, Tim, thoughts on these three prime cards? Yeah, I did. Uh, I, I did some of the work on Orton and uh, really liked that. I, I, I just like him as a wrestler and the, you just learn more about these guys, you know, as you're researching and finding different tag teams you never knew anything about uh, and, and different connections to existing uh, legends guys. 
Um, so really like having him Riggs, I, I think again, you know, that like Stu said, it completes the team. So that that's kind of nice to get him in there and Ranger Ross. It's, it's, I think it's, it was great to meet him out of Cauliflower Alley and it's, uh, it's really good to have uh, a, a guy in the LWF that has a phone, uh, the same as mine. So, um, uh, I, I think that's a, that's, that's the key. He's going to get Absolutely. pushed for your TV title, which is a black and white TV in your case, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. I got the rabbit ears with the tin foil on it, just so I can uh, get some some uh, some stations. There you go. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Chad, thoughts on Ranger Ross, Bob Orton? So Bob Orton, I thought this drawing came out really, really well. I really liked how Warner did a good job with that. And Tim, when you were researching him. Didn't you say the pile driver was maybe a power bomb or something? Yeah, he, the, um, it, you know, it was funny because I, I first looked at Wikipedia and they talk about how he innovated the pedigree and nowhere, none of the matches that I saw. And uh, when I researched other sources that, Nothing else even mentioned that. So I think that's just like a goofy Wikipedia thing. Um, but yeah, the pile driver was more, it, it almost looked like when he picked them up, he released them into like a power bomb, but not like the one where he would bring them all the way up. He would just kind of bring them up a little bit and then just put them down gotcha. and, uh, so that his shoulders were pinned. But yeah, that that's kind of what the, the pile driver looked like. Okay. Well, there you go, promoters. A history lesson on uncharted territory. Thank you, Tim. Um, no, but I, I'm excited to have Orton in there. Scotty Riggs, I think, you know, now we have the, the trio of partners for Buff Bagwell. We just need to get Judy, maybe. No, no. Okay, probably not. But no, I think I think it's cool because then he got kind of like a, a young baby face team like Riggs and, and, and Bagwell. And certainly you could maybe even turn them heel if you wanted to, because they're both kind of ding-dongs, in my opinion. Not really uh, I don't know. Did you guys see that rest picture of Buff Bagwell this week? I did. Buff yeah. does not look like he has the stuff anymore, friends. No, it's Buff, Buff is doing rough. Buff is rough. Does so. he still have the calf implants, though? I mean, that's the key. I mean, you know, in a in a good uh good mug shot, they only show you from about here up. They don't they didn't show the calves. They were in their own separate mug shot. I was going to say they, they 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 may have gotten arrested on a separate charge. Exactly, exactly. Personating cabs. Um, so sorry, Buff. We we hope you're doing well. We we love you. And then Ranger Ross, I was very excited to get him because we told the story about how we signed him at CAC, and I was just so excited to meet him. And um, you know, watching some video footage for him, it, it, that took a while. He did not have a, a wide repertoire of moves, so. And that little, you know, combat kick gimmick off the ropes. I thought that'd be something kind of cutesy to do um, for him, for a guy who otherwise pretty much a, a straight up card. You know, you can certainly ignore that if if it offends you. But I, I thought it was something kind of cool. He'd, he'd, he'd hit a leapfrog every once in a while and then immediately plan that combat kick. And, you know, if you want further improvisation on the out of the ring chart, sometimes he'd do like a vault over the top rope to the floor and either hit the, the combat kick or he'd launch into some of his karate strikes. So yeah, just kind of a, a fun mid to, to lower card guy to have. So good, good stuff from pro prime. So thanks to everybody who took time to vote in the, in the great pro prime election of 2021. 
Very good, very good. Uh, yeah, as I mentioned before, Bob Orton, great drawing. Warner really did a great job on that. And it was kind of good to revisit him now with maybe a few more matches out there. So uh, excited to use him at some point. Ranger Ross, I remember as a kid when he debuted in the NWA, I remember Clash of the Champions 7. It was at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. They had all the military servicemen there. And, you know, he was just obviously a big hero being in, in that setting. And um, I remember, as Chad described, he was very athletic. Um, and, you know, always kind of wondered if he might, if they might do more with him, give him more of a push, but just, just didn't work out for him. But I'm really glad we could get him in the game. And Scotty Riggs, as Chad mentioned, you know, now we have Bagwell's three partners. Actually, I'm going to out-nerd you a little bit. We have all four of Bagwell's WCW Tag Team Championship partners in the game. We have Two Gold Scorpio, the Patriot, excuse me, Del Wilkes. Thank you. Um, Scotty Riggs, and from when he was a heel as part of Vince Russo's crew, Shane Douglas. They were tag team champions. Shut the front door. I know. <laughs> so... Um, oh, could I have forgotten about that? Right, you know, you know, <laughs> when they were changing titles hourly. Yeah. Um, but no, uh, so uh, and we're going to break some news here, promoters. Uh, we'll put this on the discussion board and in the um, Google Doc um, Pro Prime Handbook that Chad has been so faithfully putting together for all these releases. Except this uh, year, gonna, but I'm working on it. We'll get there. We'll get there. Patience. We'll get there. But we're going to reveal it here first on Uncharted Territory at a special mechanic with uh, Marcus Bagwell's color prime card. Uh, if you notice, he's got a double drop kick, three add one tag move on number five level three offense. When teaming with Scotty Riggs, that will now become a zero finisher. So just as Scotty has the double drop kick finisher, both both of the American males can do the double drop kick as a zero finisher. Oh yeah, my heard God. it here we're, first, we're promoters. Bre- we're breaking wind here we're breaking on uncharted territory. <laughs> breaking all kinds of things, yes. We yes. break a lot of wind. You gotta break a lot of eggs to make an omelet. <laughs> I heard that once. I once, once. So, I, can I talk about the other releases because they're kind of cool? I like yes. the FTR stuff. I really read, liked the book on that. Um, I love Stallion. I know he's supposed to be kind of a young Pegasus type person, young cocky heel. Pegasus was always one of my favorites. Crust, I thought that guy was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty cool. Quest. Looks a lot like The Rock. <laughs> hitting, his, hitting his pose there, the sunglasses. I like that. And then Caston Crossbones. I mean, how can you not like a... I don't know what that guy is. Pirate Brimstone Green Lantern looking guy. And then we have the Indies guys. And Rob did an excellent job. And I put that on the board. I really like the, the book and what's going on with that. He's making, doing a lot of cool stuff with those guys. And I just listened um, while I was mowing to the interview with Rob on um, about the FTR process on roll up so um check that out and then we have the uh pro prime indies cards miranda gordy edith surreal and dan the dad um i think i've maybe heard of dan the dad before i've heard of miranda gordy i think Corey, didn't you sign miranda gordy i did sign miranda gordy i'll talk about that in a bit okay well i'll be quiet edith surreal not (laughs) not familiar with but cool looking mask and then we have all the 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 best of indies and I, i think that is a cool way to do it is you know, just kind of compile them all together so you don't have to come up with like an entire fed or something. And the one thing that I find is funny, there's a guy in here named Jordan Oliver. There was a wrestler at Oklahoma State named Jordan Oliver, but pretty sure he did not come anywhere close to sniffing 6'1", 220. So uh, I, I do find that ironic. I, I had to flip him over. I'm like, no, nah, that's not the same guy. But and Chris Masters, it was cool to get him, Madman Fulton, you know, a lot of a lot of good art and a lot of different guys in there. Very cool. So hats off to everybody involved with all the stuff. Um, 
this uh, this quarter. I almost said this semester. Sorry, I work <laughs> I work in higher education. I'm yes. just going to mute now and go back in my corner. Very good. Stu, any comments on the additional releases? Best of the Indies really got me going on the indie scene again. Uh, I think Calvin Tankman and Moriarty have seen a couple of their matches, including one of them against against each other, which is highly entertaining. Tony Deppen is currently the TV champ for a Ring of Honor, and I watched that match when he won that belt and was impressed by him. And I think... Uh, you know, it, the, the good part about indies is when you get these sets, you, you buy them if you're a fan of independent wrestling, number one, but you're also buying them with the eye towards, and Zeke's done a pretty good job of this, of which one of these talents may just make a bigger stage. Um, and as we mentioned on, it wasn't the last show, but two shows ago, we checked off a number of these independent wrestlers who have gone on to bigger and better things. And there, I think there are a few in this set well, I guess Chris Masters has gone from bigger and better things. Uh, there are a few in this set that might just make the big time. So um, I'm definitely back into independent wrestling from Pilsinger Games and have cranked up my own little replays on some of the independent wrestlers and, and having a ball. Tim, any additional comments on these releases? Uh, I did not receive those cards, even though I did do some review on the stats, but uh... Uh, so I, I, I really can't comment, but, but after seeing the drafts, I mean, I, I would agree with the comments that have already been made. <laughs> you well got said. a future in politics, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I think Zeke did another great job on the, on this indie set. Um, Chris Masters, we had known he was signed for a couple of years now. I, I think Zeke signed him, if I remember correctly. Uh, and if not, I apologize to whomever did sign him, but um, you know, that's kind of an interesting name as far as do you do him in the legend side, do you do him in the indie side? Um, you know, he got obviously kind of started on a bigger stage and didn't work out there for him. But, you know, if you remember 2005, 2006, he was heavily pushed in WWE um, with the Master Lock Challenge going up against Shawn Michaels, Rey Mysterio, a lot of the top stars of the time. Um, so, you know, that's definitely, you could see him being in a in, in, uh, Legends card. Uh, but Obviously, the last few years, he's been in the independent scene. He's now in the NWA, and they're, I believe, national champion. And uh, so, obviously, you could make a case for the Indies. So, I think it was a good decision to put him in this set. Um, uh, Zeke talked a little bit on Roll Up about the uh, Master Lock Challenge mechanic. I thought that was a good way to do it, from what I remember, the Master Lock Challenge. That was always a – he handled that well. And I'm not as familiar with a lot of uh, – some of the others in this in this best of set, but uh, as Stu kind of alluded to, it's a good way to learn about some of these guys is, you know, seeing their cards and then looking up footage on them. So nice job, Zeke. Uh, and as Chad said, yes, I signed Miranda Gordy um, last year, uh, just kind of going around Facebook and somehow stumbled upon her profile, kind of read up on her as, as Terry's daughter. Um, she – I think we mentioned this before. She's dating another wrestler, Craig Kieseman, who used to work for – 3XW in Iowa, and uh, Chad, Tim, and I have seen him wrestle in person, so, um, but yeah, she was very, very nice, you know, I talked to her about the game, I, I showed her her dad's card, and she was aware of the card and, and the game already, so she was very, very honored to be in, uh, in the game alongside her dad, and uh, it was very helpful with uh, putting together her moveset, you know, it was very descriptive, you know, these are some moves I, I win with, and these are some I'm, I'm starting to use more. Um, the short arm scissors actually came out after I first talked to her and I watched a few matches of hers and saw that she won a match with that, that short arm scissors. So I talked to her about that and said, yeah, I've been, been using that more recently. So I'm glad we could 
you know, get that in uh, later and get the card out later. But uh, Miranda will be at uh, Waterloo this summer, and she's also working up here in Minnesota, I think on that Saturday, the day after the, the Waterloo card on Friday night. So uh, those that are coming to Waterloo, bring your Miranda card with and get it signed. All right, we're going to move into our main event for this week. And this was a suggestion by Stu the, uh, for a topic, uh, kind of a two-part topic that we're going to talk about here. We're going to look back at our, our Fed's histories, whether in Champions of the Galaxy or Legends of Wrestling. We're going to talk a little bit about our, uh, first of all, our booking styles, you know, what any influence we've had from real life wrestling or just any inspiration we've had. Uh, so let's, uh, let's start with Tim. Tim, what, how would you define your uh, booking style, whether in the GWF, in the NWF, or any other times you've played? Um, I, would, I would say I was a little bit more aggressive in, in doing more hotshot type stuff when I was playing champions than, than in the NWF, because I, I kind of go back to uh, when I, when I played legends, that's, it is kind of based on uh, my experiences when I was growing up and watching WWWF and uh, Pedro Martinez national wrestling federation uh, that ran uh, the, uh, the same area that I did when I, when I did my NWF. Uh, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Buffalo area. So uh, things things were a lot more slow to develop, and then when they did, they kind of meant something. Um, and at various times in my GWF, I mean, I didn't really have a Fed going uh, for quite some time, probably until that first Galacticon, because I, I just was matching up guys and and throwing them together and you know a fights b uh, c fights d and that was pretty much it so there wasn't a lot of thought or booking or anything like that really behind it and it wasn't until i got down to galacticon and, and really saw what people were doing with their feds and how they were really getting into doing angles and building things and straying outside of the uh, uh the, the canon that tom had come up with that's what kind of got got me going and got me into doing some different booking type things. So, Tim, I do uh, believe you said my scaffold battle royal really inspired you to, to greater booking heights, <laughs> correct? It, 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 it uh, yeah, uh, uh, sure, sure, yes. <laughs> that that was the thing that put me over the top as far as you're welcome. I need to do more with this game. You're welcome, Tim. That you're you're. You're my inspiration. You're the wind beneath my wings. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I it really was just uh, just a crap show, uh, you know, for the first few years, and then I, I decided to kind of you know really put it together and, and said, hey, you know, I, I kind of like this game and I enjoy the people and and all of that that I was meeting at Galacticon. I said, let's let's actually make a fed out of this. So yeah, so it was a little bit more hot shotty, but it was it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, in addition to Chad Scaffold Battle Royal, was it any one promoter or just kind of being part of that community at Galacticon that inspired you to just be a little more structured? No, not really. I mean, I think I don't think it was anyone in particular. It was really just seeing what, if after talking to people and sitting around and, and, and going through what people were doing and how they were running their feds, I'm like, man, they're running this like it's a real wrestling fed, which is pretty much the whole point of the game. Uh, that, that apparently had had just uh, passed me by uh, when when I was doing this, but um, but yeah, I, I you know I, I kind of looked at that and I'm like you know I could get a lot more out of this game if I just applied myself a little bit, 
And so that, that's what kind of led me to actually, uh, you know, trying to, trying to get my act together and, and, and run my GWF as a real, real fed. Well, thank you, Tim. Uh, Chad, I believe you were the, you were playing before Tim was by at least a few months. Uh, so what do you think about your, your, how would you classify your booking style? Well, I think you've seen the hot butter garbage I was serving up in the Club Galactica Super Report. <laughs> I mean, I, I like to say I was Russo before Russo. Um, <laughs> you know, I would do a lot of like Clash of the Champions or Saturday Night Made Event type shows and not a lot of house shows. I kept them in two separate notebooks. Um, but kind of like Tim, after the first Galacticon, I started... I, I kind of reset. I didn't like start my Fed over, but I did a thing where it got purchased by another group and just kind of uh, held a tournament for like the interplanetary. Just did some stuff to kind of get back on a track that wasn't so crazy. I had I had a few bootlegs in there. I took those out, um, and then started booking a little better. But um, and keeping better track of my results, I, I definitely have a more um, solid history from like the mid ninety on. And then um, a big change for me is when I started getting the Wrestling Observer in January of nineteen ninety two, and just reading different results and things, and seeing how booking worked, and reading like the Japanese TV rundown where it would show how. Um, and, and all this is due to Tim. I do have Tim to I thank was, for. I was going to say, I was, I was also, also the wind beneath your wings. So. Yes, you were. Yes. We've been windy for a long time together and see things like in all Japan where they'd have the big six man main events and like the, the heavyweight championship wasn't defended every night or even every, you know, tour. Um, so I, I didn't go to that extreme, but I would do things like add, um, you know, if I had three to four shows a month and I tried to have a, like, and, and Tim taught me this too about, you know, booking like one big show and then splitting it into an A and a B show. So like my heavyweight title would be defended on one and maybe the tag team and interplanetary would be on another. And then, you know, later that month, you'd have like maybe a big six man or something or, or do some of those side feud matches and stuff. So things got better um, with my booking, you know, after, gradually mid nineties on. And then um, when I started my second Fed, the CWA kind of had a similar style for that. And I tried to do different themes, super cards for each one of them. So that way the um, Feds had their own distinct style, you know, like one, the CWA had a singles tournament every year and the GWF had a tag team tournament, but they, you know, they didn't both do them or both of them did do like a great American bash style tour, but I ran them at different times of the year. So they were a little bit different, you know, and I do quarterly to maybe five supercards a year. They weren't monthly. It, the business hadn't evolved to that yet. And I, I, I don't care for that model now. Um, I like kind of building up to a, a bigger card of, you know, a month or two out there or uh, two to three months, I should say. And, you know, when I was running two feds, I just tried to do different stuff to keep them different. So it wasn't just like WWF versus WCW. Stu, your thoughts on, on booking influences, styles, whatever you'd like to say. Well, I, as opposed to now when I'm pretty free form, I was actually very structured when the game, when I first got Champions of the Galaxy. And, uh, 
kind of hot shot some of it and then I was trying to catch up because I was way behind you guys when I got the game and we just play a, a card a month and trying to build up to a couple of different pay-per-views that I had kept the same pay-per-views and I kept them on the same schedule each and every year and I did this for a number of years with Champions of the Galaxy and continued along that same theme with Legends of Wrestling when we got that game very traditional booking, very sports-based booking uh, in terms of the, it was always the hunt for the championship uh, and people were having matches to establish their uh, place in the rankings to move up the rankings ladder to get a shot at the title, whether that be the, the world championship or the secondary championship or in the tag rankings, it would be the same thing. Uh, so I, I did do some more kooky angles, I guess, if you want to call it that, with Champions of the Galaxy, which we'll discuss in a little bit. Uh, Legends, I've definitely been pretty conservative on that. Um, and I'll talk about this in a little bit, too, in terms of trying to... I, I did some angles, which I didn't know I was doing at the time, but uh, were a, a complete copy of what they did with Lawler in Memphis uh, in terms of his title chase or the NWA title chase. Um, so... All in all, fairly conservative, sports-based booking, uh, trying to keep it more towards boxing, if you will, in terms of uh, people are vying for spots along the rankings, uh, along the rankings ladder, trying to move up and trying to keep their spot. Um, with that said, I think Champions of the Galaxy lended itself more to, to outlandish angles, if you want to call it that, um, but in which I've certainly had fun with and certainly done some clunkers. Um, which again, we'll discuss in a little bit. But in terms of influence, I think I'm more influenced uh, when I got the game. I was a longtime boxing fan. I think I was more influenced by boxing than anything else, uh, oddly enough, or interestingly enough, um, in terms of how to promote like a boxing federation would promote in terms of matches are held to determine your spot on the rankings ladder. And I, I've to some degree kept that uh, when I, I'm doing my various replays now where I'm keeping track of everybody's record um, and just doing replays of individual wrestlers. I'm, I'm more interested in their one loss record and how they're faring against uh, the other wrestlers than I am really angles. So that's just kind of what interests me. Very good, Sue. Thank you. Well, when I started playing Champions of the Galaxy and Chad brought me the first um, classics 2079-2086 sets as we've talked about before, um, you know, I was probably kind of what he described, you know, Russo before Russo, you know, very rushed, um, not a lot of thinking, just like, here's a random gimmick match on the card or, uh, you know, but as Chad would kind of help me when we would get together and um, kind of give me some pointers and suggestions. And I know when I brought in the 2087 set um, right away, I wanted to do Star Warrior Thantos. And he said, let's, you know, just hold off on that. So I did, uh, as far as a singles match, they didn't wrestle for six months. Um, even after the breaking of the code and all of that. So I, I tried to slow things down a little bit. Um, like Stu, I was also trying to play catch up where I didn't necessarily play a full set year as a, as a year. I was just kind of combining the storyline years and just playing by the real life calendar years, if that makes sense, just a hundred years in the future. But um, even with some of the futuristic storylines and, and other things I wanted to, you know, stretch things out especially with some of the bigger feuds um once in a while i'd if there was a say like max shield and mandrill were brought in together to feud you know maybe do that match quicker than other feuds but 
really tried to get some of those singles feuds, especially to um, be built up and, and uh, mean something when those guys finally did meet in the ring. Um, one of the things I always found interesting with Champions of the Galaxy was that a lot of the storylines that Tom wrote or Mark wrote in the CPC sets were hard to, I guess, recreate or represent just by rolling the dice on the cards and the charts. You know, a lot of it was just, you know, oh, Massacre gets killed. Okay, well, then you just talk about that. You know, you don't really roll anything for that. So um, that was always one of the things I tried to connect the, the results of the matches I played to those those storylines. Um, with the GWF, I didn't stray too far from Tom's storylines and the canon. Um, my secondary feds, initially, I did an ADA, a, AFW fed based on Terminus and his title belt. I did that after the first sudden death using him, obviously, and then some of the classics guys, some bootlegs, guys that have been banished from the GWF, just kind of a mix of guys. But like Chad said, I wanted to kind of, you know, differentiate the styles. So if you want to think of GWF as the WWF of its day, this was a more like maybe ECW, not as far as hardcore wrestling, but just a variety of wrestlers that you wouldn't see on the, on the national stage. So um, I focused on cruiserweights a lot and uh, um, eventually, you know, did, did have some, a hardcore title there and, um, and well, that was ECW influence a little bit in, in Japan, uh, uh, FMW and wing. Um, eventually, I, I really liked what Mark was doing with the CPC storylines and wanted to get on board with that. So I, I win Cordainus Band Wrestling. I just kind of said the AFW went away and then Colby started up the CPC as the underground fed and just kind of took a lot of those AFW guys with some new guys as well. So it wasn't just a copy of that. But that was my secondary fed for a while. And then when I started playing Legends, um, I wanted to, again, have a different style there. So I definitely more slow building, traditional style, you know, focus a little bit on matches, not a lot of big angles. Um, and then as far as my recaps, you know, my TV shows, which I still post today on the discussion board, I would do my, my card, I'll post those results. And then in between Lance Russell and Dave Brown recap. So I picture the TV shows as being in a sense like ECW where they didn't say the matches were live. They said this was taped at the ECW arena last week and here's, here's what happened. Um, so kind of that, that style of showing the clips and then announcing the upcoming matches and doing interviews in the, in the studios. So um, obviously, you know, that's the legends is my focus now. Haven't played champions of the galaxy in 16 years or so. Um, but always wanted to have some differences in the feds and the, the different flavors. So, all right, from there, we're going to talk about the good and the bad of our booking, the good and bad of our feds histories um, good and bad angles that we run. Let's let's go with the good first. Um, any good angles that you guys have run that really stick out in your memory and that you'd like to share with our promoters out there? Chad, let's start with you. Um, so a couple things I was trying to think back, and you know, I haven't played champions in a really long time. Um, but one thing that popped up to me was the summer before Sudden Death 2094 came out. So whenever that was. Um I was doing this big feud throughout the great Galaxian bash, you know, my great American bash ripoff series with the gladiators fighting the animate and they were injuring each other back and forth and all these crazy specialty matches and, um, and built up to my Halloween supercard night of fright where <clears throat> I had an eight man elimination cage match and the final two guys would be the tag team. 
And like, if an Animan won and a Gladiator won, they'd have to be a tag team. And everybody else couldn't team anymore. Well, then along the way, Tom starts writing Sudden Death. And he actually had a contest. And it had to be in the summer because it was at, we talked about it at Galacticon. And that might have been the one, there was one Galacticon that was in early August. Do you remember that, Tim? Because of something with the schedule. I do, yeah. So maybe it was this one. And he's like, you know, if, if you guess what the premise behind sudden death is, you win a free game set. Well, I guessed it and I won. So, you know, here I am. I'm building this huge food with the anime and the gladiators. And I'd always kind of done my own thing. And then I'm like, well, I can't really go through with this because it's going to screw up whatever Tom said with this sudden death thing. So I found a way to weasel out of it. Um, but, it, you know, it, I think in the cage match, um, I think it came down to Battering Ram and Massacre. So they were going to be a tag team. Interesting. And the other guys wouldn't be allowed to team anymore. Um, but like I said, I kind of, I, I, I worked around that part and, um, you know, kind of reset with sudden death. I'm like, well, if Tom's actually, you know, using promoter input for this, it's kind of important. So I actually reset all my feuds to follow Tom's stuff throughout the, the sudden death years for 94 and 95. Um, another feud that came up later was um, Janus against Nefaris. Um, they just had a really good singles feud for me. Um, kind of like, I would kind of equate it to like Bret Hart, Ric Flair in, in WWF in 92, you know, when they were swapping that when the uh, Hart grabbed the belt, kind of those style of matches. Um, you know, both guys had their fans, both guys were, were hated by the fans and, it was just kind of split down the middle. And it was kind of like one of the main feuds of my CWA over that group's heavyweight title. And then, you know, as of course they later put aside their differences and became a team. And I even kind of dummied up some stats for them as they were both kind of winding down their careers to be a little more tag focused and stuff um, to, you know, kind of, I mean, kind of like the game masters with warrior and Thantos and what Tom did with them later, but that was a really good feud. And then, some might say this was under worst angles, but I, I thought this was awesome. So I had Cycle Hog and Dracronian Sheik teaming up, and they were fighting like Vanity and Queen on the undercard. And it was the time where Tom had revised the out of the ring chart. So I think if you rolled high, you, you rolled a count out and added one or something. It wasn't an automatic count out. So they did that on Cycle Hog. I'm like, well, you know, imagine a crazy move. I'm like, well, Psycho, I mean, he's not gonna do a he's not gonna do a dive, but he could certainly kind of hit the ropes and waddle across the ring and do like a steamroller through the ropes and land on that guy. So, and it was kind of like the Undertaker. He'd only pull it out every once in a while, but Cyclops <laughs> started doing these rolling somersaults between like the bottom and middle rope to the guy on the floor, and the fans got into that. So awesome. Yeah, that was that was some fun improv with Cyclog. Uh, I, I I don't think I'd, I wouldn't have imagined hearing a comparison between the Undertaker and Cycle <laughs> Well, just in terms of their annual dives, yes, not not I get the, it. not anything else. I <laughs> no, get it. Yep. well, no, Cycle Hog was the original American badass. There, that's <laughs> true. That is true. Oh wow! Once again, people are ripped off, Tom. Uh, all right, great. I re I remember those Cycle Hog and Sheik matches. I always thought that was a cool team that you put together, Chad and. Uh, 
uh, yeah, those, those are fun to hear about those matches. So thank you. Uh, let's go to Tim. Greatest angles, best memorable angles that you remember. Well, you know, with my memory, that doesn't uh, really cover a lot, but I'll, I'll see what I can come up with here. Um, a lot of the stuff for my GWF was just off phone conversations with Chad. You know, we'd be sitting there talking on the phone for an hour and a half. And we came up with, we, we built the whole CWA thing, you know, the separate Fed, just based off something I was just kind of doing on my, on mine and something he was going to do on his. And we're like, hey, this works. If we combine these, this makes a lot of sense because I was going to do something where uh, uh, Magnus Colby bought the arenas on uh, like Pluto and, and Uranus and, and, uh, and, <laughs> was gonna was gonna lie. <laughs> sorry uh was gonna was gonna lock the gwf out but he was doing it through like a series of you know dummy corporations and stuff like that so you, you couldn't tell that he was doing it and i was talking to chad about this he's like oh well you know i was thinking about forming this thing called the cwa and and just using like you know some of the bootleg guys that we had and and kind of taking it in a different direction than gwf and i'm like hey what if we combine these um so that was a really good one that I think came came out of just you know two two people just shooting the, the shit on the phone for for a while, um, and the other one that I know that, that comes to mind right away from from those phone conversations was using the old Commander Sam card, the prime time uh, what was it twenty seventy nine yeah Commander Sam card yep as his son and calling it the son of Sam. Because that just came about, you know, just bantering back and forth and, and, oh, you know, I really, well, oh, you could use it and say it's a son. Oh, they, oh, you know, I could call him the son of Sam. Ha ha ha. And then all of a sudden it's like, Ooh, yeah. uh, but just stuff like that, you know, just from talking about things on the phone. A um, couple other ones that I did, I had uh, when, when Pulsar Prime, when Blazing Skull exploded in Pulsar's face. And uh, he wound up with the eye patch. Um, I had had a match earlier in that year where Vengeance used the eye cleaver on Pulsar Prime, like I think I think it was some like four or five times in the match and injured him. And so I wound up just saying, "Hey, you know what? It wasn't Blazing Skull. It was Vengeance that kind of did this to him." And and that turned into a, a huge feud and was was actually the main event of my Galacticade uh my, my year on supercard the one year the one that that i think was probably most notable though for me was something that just happened out of kind of necessity during my smoky mountain challenge which was a 10 card feud series that i did every year and i actually had to go back and 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 pull the actual newsletter that i used to write and send out to everybody just because i knew that i i would just have results in my my write-ups, I, you know, it, this is where I really talked about the angles was in my newsletter, but I, I, it was, it was all feud matches between, you know, whichever teams were feuding in my Fed at the time. And the highlight of, of this Smoky Mountain Challenge was what I called the five-way dance between uh, a feud matches between five teams, the Champions of the Galaxy as good guys, uh, the Gladiators of Aether as bad guys, Citadel of the Elite is bad guys. The, the Federation Defense Fighters is good guys. 
and then Colby Pelf Limited, which was kind of like an independent group that just hated everybody. So all five of these teams were fighting each other. And when it came down to the 10th card, uh, the FDF was in the lead and the only other team that could win were the champions. So the two good guy teams basically came down to it. And um, I've got in my write up here that, that uh, in order for the champions to win, the games masters would have to beat the Vanguard by pin or submission. And then Pegasus would have to lose to chaos. It would cause a tie in the points total because I used to award points for the, the different outcomes but the champions held the head-to-head -head advantage so that the champions would win the, the feud. And the Games Masters did win the tag match. They, I think they did the end game on uh, Thunder like three or four times and finally pinned them. And then in my main event, the last car or the last match of the last show is Pegasus Chaos and Chaos wins by DQ. And so that which means the champions now you know they they win the 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 whole shooting match and they win the five-way dance which was a very prestigious thing in my fed and i was sitting there going well who the hell would interfere in this because it didn't make any sense for some of the other teams to interfere or even their own team to interfere because if if somebody from the fdf interferes they lose right so it doesn't make any sense and i'm like well who would do it and I finally came up with the idea of having Thantos, who was with the champions team, interfere so that causing chaos to win by DQ, champions, the winners of the, the feud. In, in essence, pretty much, uh, you know, turning uh, one, of, one, of the, one of my good guy groups uh, heel on this. And it was one of those things where I wound up turning Commander Sam, and this is before the whole Commando Sam day or any, any of that stuff happened, so it hadn't been really done. I mean, sure, I'm not that other promoters hadn't done it, but I mean, this was a big deal because I was kind of, you know, taking the, the, my number two good guy team and basically turned them heel as a result of this show. And... It, it took me a lot of time to kind of figure out how to how to rework my Fed because now I'm unbalanced as far as my good guys versus bad guys. But that was probably the biggest angle I ever ran was um, was turning that whole team heel. And it led to just a great year of matches and feuds and everything. And it was so much fun. And I remember talking to Chad on the phone about these and, and it was just, it, it just turned into just this great thing for me, but it was born of necessity because there was no other way to explain the result on my, on my biggest, on my big show. Um, I, I remember that, as soon as you started talking about this, I was like, I know the finish. I know where this is going. Yeah. I, I remember I still have my Tim Dalton newsletters. We'll review those someday, about five, <laughs> six years. We'll get to those probably. Yeah. That was the biggest angle I ever ran uh, in the GWF, and I thought I thought it was it it turned out so well for me that I have to I have to say that you know whether it would be considered good or bad it, it was it was damn good for me. Um, as far as the NWF stuff, really the only couple things that I had on here that, that my I I did that were kind of unique were I, I did a World League challenge where I had uh, wrestlers from all different countries that I could find. 
and I had a cheat a little bit. I think I parsed Russia into like three different parts between uh, <laughs> Russia, Croatia, and Estonia to try to get uh, get three people in there to fill out the field. Um, and it's a good thing I did because George Hackenschmidt representing Estonia. But the angle part of that was that um, Nick Bockwinkel, who was my champion at the time, was upset that he wasn't the USA representative. And I made Steve Williams the US representative, which led to him coming in and debuting and having a huge feud with Bob. That, that was a big one in the NWF. And then the other one I did that was just kind of a side project was a, a Young Guns tournament with a, a lot of the Legends of the Future cards that uh, Nigel McGuinness beat uh, Brian Danielson in the finals. It was a, a, a modified double elimination tournament. That was, that was a lot of fun. Uh, but those are the ones for the most part. I'm, I'm sorry I kind of got a little talky on the Smoky Mountain Challenge thing, but there was a lot behind it. So, um, but those are probably the best things that, that I recall doing. When you mentioned those phone calls and, and some of that stuff we did, like Son of Sam, the other one we have to talk about is when, you know, when all these classic cards came out, it's like, man, how can I use some of these guys? Because, you know, they were good cards. I didn't want to run a separate cross fed. So start the CWA, which was kind of a, FMW knockoff. It was before I'd ever seen ECW. This was like 92. And I wanted to use the guys who got exiled from um, sudden death, except I never sent Massive over. I'm like, Massive is a GWF loyalist. He wouldn't do that. But then some of the guys like Akuma and, and Suyoi and Armageddon, some of our bootlegs we used and um, Paul Barnes, El Pantera Negro and Tex Remington. Right, right, Stu? Paul Barnes, man? <laughs> Paul Barnes was a bootleg machine. He was a visionary. He was um, great. Visionary, yeah, that's right. But the other character that came out of this, you know, and some of the guys like the um Estonians, it's like, oh, they're rock guys. They live a long time. I can put them over, not you know, put them in there, not a big deal. Um Mighty Grogan. I'm like, well, he's towards the end of his career, so he went over for a while. But as I was looking at the classics three thousand guys, I'm like, man, Rhea, I don't know. Kind of looks like Fury. Oh, it could be Fury's sister. I'm like, that's an awesome idea. <laughs> so Fury got injured by Armageddon, Carnage and Slaughterhouse. And then uh, he brought Rhea in, his big sister. And she pretty much cleaned Armageddon's clock. <laughs> and I, I remember, I, I still remember, was it uh, the match we had with Rhea versus Chaos? The people were at Galacticon. People were literally gathered around our table watching us roll this because it was such a great match. Mm -hmm. And I, also, I, wasn't it? It's the it was also the bounty hunter because Janus. We said when when Janus you know came into the GWF, Tom wrote that he was had the title belt from another um, promotion. I know Corey just got like kidnapped or something. Also, he shows up on Zoom and he's <laughs> in a different room. He might be somebody's basement. He's hanging out with Saddam Hussein in his hideout or something. I'm not sure what the hell's going on. In his security bunker. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, um, so I said for my league that Janus was the CWA champion and he jumped. So the CWA was trying to win back the physical title. Like, you know, if somebody was going after Ric Flair and, and the title that he took to the WWF and the bounty hunter fought him because he was the champion at that time. Um, and I said that the CWA, they refused to make a new title belt. They're like, we're going to win this belt back from him. And at that first Galact, not the first Galacticon, but one of the Galacticons, we also had a match with those two. And there was also people watching that and Janus kept the belt. And then the next year, Infinity 
was the CWA champion and he fought Janus in another great match and, and won the title back and actually won the physical belt back. So for over, you know, a year and a half, the CWA, they had a champion, but they never had a title belt because they said, we're going to win this belt back from the GWF. We're not going to make, you know, we're not going to make a new one. This is our title. And yeah, we, we drew some capacity crowds at Galacticon watching those battles. Yeah, we did. So that was fun stuff. Yeah, I was there for one of those. I think I think it was the Rhea match you mentioned. And yeah, promoters, they're not exaggerating. Uh, people stopped playing in the tournaments and just gathered around their table to see how these matches were going to play out. So that was awesome. And, and I remember getting those uh, newsletters from Tim and uh, hearing and reading about the Smoky Mountain Challenge results. It was just really cool booking how it came down to the very end there. So obviously the dice booked it, but... I mean, it's better than many real life booking situations. So, Stu, uh, great angles or great things that you've booked. And I, I wish I had been there to watch those matches play out. It sounded like a lot of fun. I've heard heard enough about them. I kind of think I was there. Uh, the uh, there are a couple that stand out to me. Um, as I mentioned before, I was influenced to some degree by boxing uh, and the chase for a title, and I learned later. Uh, in the last couple of years, Jerry Jarrett had a podcast, uh, which he's now stopped doing, but he, he talked extensively about uh, trying to build Lawler up for the NWA title uh, in the 70s by having a number of top contenders or at least top names in the w NWA territories come into Memphis and have Lawler match up against them. And I did something very similar, although I didn't know I was imitating this, uh, with Bobo Brazil. I wanted to give Bobo a run uh, to get to the title because he'd been winning uh, as a singles wrestler. And I said, you know what, I'm going all in with this guy and let's see how far he can go. And he beat Rogers and he beat Race and he beat one other, I cannot remember. I just remember he won three in a row against very good talent. So that put him up against Nick Bockwinkle. So this is all playing out pretty well. And at the time I had uh, a time limit, my hour time limit was, I did 40 minutes, 40 minutes real time equaled 60 minutes real time. Uh, and and uh, as far as my time limit was, time limit was concerned for my WWA world title. So I booked the first match against, uh, with Bobo against Bach. Bobo's got this great momentum built up with these three great wins. It goes to a draw, 40 minutes real time. And it was not a dud of a match. It wasn't level two purgatory. The, the match kept moving. It was fun. Second match, they uh, inevitably have the rematch. It's Bobo and Bach again. Another 40-minute draw. This is, uh, this is the gospel truth. This happened again. I mean, these are long matches. And if you look at the cards, uh, Bobo's first card, I think he had three downs and a and his pin, I think he had three, so four chances of going down. His pin was 4-1, so it was fairly low. Bach was, he only have one down and a pin on his first card? Yeah. On his it's, first card, yes. Yeah, yeah. it's a little tougher. But uh, you wouldn't have, still, you wouldn't have thought they would have gone this long. The third match almost went to a draw again, and Bobo beats him, uh, finally, to win the world championship. And, you know, yes, it's a tabletop sports game, but I was just excited as if I was watching the damn thing on television because I'd built Bobo up or the dice had built Bobo up. He had gained this momentum. He goes into this great rivalry with Bachwinkle. And it's still the best three-match series I've ever had for the title in any Fed I've ever done. Uh, that thing was just magic. 
and they were great matches. They were long matches, but, you know, almost two hours total of real-time wrestling between those two, and there was never a dull moment. So I will always remember that. And incidentally, for my secondary title, which was the U.S. title, uh, down the road, Bobo had the same kind of results against Johnny Valentine. So there's something in Bobo's first card that led to long matches. Uh, maybe the 4-1 was what did it, but uh, he, he just could last. But I will, I will distinctly remember that. And the champion side, I mentioned this before uh, in one of our earlier podcasts, I slowly turned the Greek gods heel and enjoyed the heck out of doing that. And I, one of y'all did it too. So I can't remember which I, one of you said you turned the, it was Chad. Okay. One of you turned the Greek gods heel too. And I had a blast doing it. They came over. Uh, Thantos was constantly in their ear telling them they were being used by the heroes that they'd come over to the dark side and Thantos would use them the appropriate way and would manage them. And lo and behold, he did manage them and they did feud with the heroes and it was a lot of fun. And I actually took my time on that one versus hot shotting that particular angle. And the third thing that sticks out to me is that when I first got the game and the first time I ever had Star Warrior and Thantos lock horns for the championship. And I, I slowly built that one and I did not have them uh, square off in any match beforehand even a tag match. I just, uh, I think Star Warrior held the belt because he had defeated uh, Exo King for the championship. And actually Thantos was working his way towards Star Warrior and that all worked out. And I can remember in my mind uh, before that match happened and just countless interviews in this crazy head of mine uh, for both combatants trying to build uh, the, or doing the promos to build the momentum towards that championship match. So all three of those are very distinct in my memory as being, if you want to call them angles or you just want to call them feuds, um, things that just really click for me and my feds. Excellent. Thank you, Stu. So I've been going over some results of my uh, Champions of the Galaxy feds the last couple of days, trying to pick out some good angles. With GWF, you know, I kind of stuck to Tom's storylines and the canon a lot, so I didn't stray too much. Um, but I kind of picked out a couple uh, one was from my CPC, so this kind of played off what I remember being the real storyline, but I put my own twist on it, and as I mentioned, this was kind of one of those things where it was a great story, but how do you play that with the cards, dice, and charts? And so as um, Colby and um, Nora Pelf uh, split up, you know, I did an angle where uh, Colby was going to take control of the Fed, but you know, how do you do this? So each of them picked a wrestler to kind of represent them. So Colby had Colossus, which I think was true to the storyline. I was like, well, who could Pelf have? She went with NGO character Biff Malibu. <laughs> and uh, they main evented one of the super cards. It was for the CPC title, but also control of the Fed for their owner. And I wanted the title at stake. I didn't want it only to be about the, the owners feuding. And, uh, and if you're not familiar with their Biff Malibu card, you know, decent card, but not going to beat Colossus. So they did have a good match. Uh, Colossus ended up winning and uh, getting the Galaxian title. And then Biff Malibu being the, the selfish guy he is, you know, he turned on Nora immediately after the match. He hit the Viagra driver on her and, and, uh, and that was the end of that relationship. So once he couldn't get any more money out of her or anything else, then it, that, was, that, was, that was it for Biff. It wasn't going to be a lifelong romance. Chad? I did something very similar, except <laughs> I... So remember, she was... She was originally Sonora Pelf, and then she became right. Nora. So I right. said Nora was their daughter. Oh, yeah. And she started dating Biff Malibu, like this <laughs> Triple H Stephanie thing. And then they were getting married. 
And I totally stole this from Pacific Northwest. Oh, yeah. You know, it was Scotty the Body. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. So so Scotty the Body did this to his valet when they were getting married. So I had that they were getting married, and he kicked her and gave her a tombstone. (laughs) And then writhed all over her and stuff. And and, uh, that that, that started like the NGO versus CWA feud. And then I soon quit playing after that. So if I ever restart, I'm going back to that. I'm finishing that thing because that had money written all over it. Yeah, and Stu, go Biff, ahead. Biff was didn't y'all say Biff predated Val Venus? He did. Well, the the idea, sure. yeah. The card came out unfortunately after Val debuted, but the planning and the the, the whole idea was was before Val. So okay. the the erection of Biff Mallow, oh. so to speak. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> India. Yeah. Uh, um, and then another one that uh, kind of like Chad was saying, this didn't. Um, play out all the way at the end just because of you know I, I stopped playing champions of the galaxy but the original end game card which if i remember remembering correctly he was kind of a limited edition not really officially part of the story yep. is that correct yeah yep. okay you know i was always just really interested in that card with the the setup and it was a really strong card but tom made him he, he wasn't part of the storylines right right away so this is around the time that the rock was kind of phasing out of the wwe doing more movies and you know kind of left wrestling altogether for a while there um but i really saw endgame as this you know bigger than life star and so i had him actually as kind of a free agent between both my gwf and cpc where one week he was wrestling gwf and one week cpc it was ever whoever could get him to sign a match you know sometimes he'd team up with somebody i largely had him as a baby face but almost almost kind of like the andre touring attraction in a sense where you know he'd come in and help one baby face one week on the gwf card and then you'd see him a week later in the CPC and you just didn't know where he was going to go long-term. And I think eventually I would have had him settle in the GWF just because of his strength of his card was maybe a little better suited. But for a while, I even thought about, you know, could we, how would he play out as a, as a CPC guy, you know, probably have a, a strong reign on top, but you never know. Um, so that was kind of like one of the last original angles that I, that I did that uh, strayed from the canon. So like, I don't remember if I had a, a a final goal for it or not, but would have been fun to see where where he would have ended up. Well, from the good to the bad, uh, let's talk about our, some of the worst things we've ever done with this game. Let's uh, kind of go backwards here, Stu. All right. Well, as I had mentioned earlier, and I'll fully own this one, uh, Champions of the Galaxy lent, lent itself or lended itself uh, to more outlandish angles. So I, I took the Kraken Lord Nexus feud and I wasn't really having a whole lot of fun with it. And I decided I was going to spice it up. So I had at the end of one of Nexus's matches, and I can't remember against whom, Kraken is at ringside. And he, he implants this device in Nexus's back, into his backside, that is a mind control device. <laughs> This is awful. <laughs> this is so bad. And uh, so when Nexus starts starts wrestling in future matches, and for some reason I'd play these matches, I don't know why, uh, Nexus would instruct, or Nexus, Crockett would instruct, instruct Nexus to lose. So he would 
deliberately make him lose all these matches, fall in the rankings, and therefore control Nexus's future. It was so bad. And I'd play the freaking matches out instead of just writing Nexus lost, you know, to such and such opponent. And this went on for, I don't know, five or six matches worth until I decided this is the worst angle of all time in any, in any booked sport or <laughs> real or imagined. And somehow the implant got taken out of Nexus. <laughs> Did he find it in the toilet? <laughs> Must have. <laughs> and you people thought the scaffold battle royal sucked. Holy hey, shit. Yeah. We have a new world champion. I'm, I'm, I'm I apologize, Chad. Fully owned mind control device was was ever uh, on my radar. Uh, I gotta say, <laughs> I fully own it. And some, somehow he got rid of the mind control device. Gets pissed off, and that leads to the feud between Kraken and Nexus in earnest. And from there, they tear into each other with a fury not seen by modern man. But uh, it was um, it was god awful. And um, I think that takes the cake. See if y'all can top that. That, that, that I'm is, out. <laughs> I think we need to end the show right there. <laughs> I fold. Wow. Well, thank yeah, you for confessing. Hey, so, I, I feel better. Very good, Stu. Thank you. Well, Chad, what do you have to? Uh, <laughs> no one coming up after that. Thing. Yeah. Follow scaffold that battle one, royals baby. Uh, I mean, <laughs> if they fought on a scaffold battle royal, it'd be perfect. Oh man. Um, I, I did. I turned uh, Adam Blast and had him team with Vanity, and they were like punk rock, kind of like the new breed, and they were called yeah. the new wave. I mean, nice, but nice. I mean, compared to what we just heard, that ain't shit. Um, and then, um, I had uh, what else did I? I mean, I don't know, everything I did was gold. No, I mean, you'll, you'll see as we review super reports, there's a lot of garbage to come, fans. So you just strap yourself in for that and when uh when quasar left the gwf and billy joe boxer had had retired um i teamed them up in the cwa and they were like doing a gangster's gimmick like mustafa and new jack so it was kind of uh, crazy stuff there but still nothing as bad as what we just heard from stewart i tend, um, to, I tend to define that as creative and innovative it's something <laughs> um I mean, nothing really horrifying stands out to me. I don't remember. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm sure, like I said, we'll look at the super reports and the, then we'll, the super sure, reports may uh, ferret that out. Yeah, I, <laughs> I probably blacked a lot of this stuff out. They, they've, they've revealed a lot in the issues. Of, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> More is yet to be revealed. I mean, oh, you guys got to wait for some of this stuff. Stay tuned, promoters. <laughs> Oh, Tim, what about in the GWF or the NWF? Uh, so the GWF side, probably the first angle I ever ran was one of the dumbest things I ever came up with. Um, I, I had Vanity convince Star Warrior that he I love not, this one. I, <laughs> that he was not Omega's son. Because <laughs> if you look at Omega in Star Warrior, you don't really don't see look a lot of resemblance there, right? Nope. Um so he basically convinced Star Wars that, that he was his brother and that Omega wasn't his father. And so Star Warrior turned heel briefly and became the stud warrior. And uh, when this whole feud with Omega and the whole nine yards, and then somewhere along the line, I just said, okay, this is just too freaking stupid. 
And uh, I had him, you know, discover whatever paperwork he needed to find to, to realize that, oh, that is my dad. And then uh, he beat the crap out of uh, Vanity in a Cage. But that was probably <laughs> the first angle I ever ran. And then um, another time I had King Lear, uh, he lost to Loser Leaves Town uh, that I really didn't want him to lose. I mean, I was trying during the match, but the dice had different, different ideas. And so King Lear loses this match. And I'm like, but I need him to set something up. So I brought him back under a mask, which I always hated that gimmick, but I, you know, but I figured, okay, it's tried and true wrestling history. And instead of calling him Mr. X, I called him Mr. XO, like XO King, but he would have an X and an O on, on his mask. And so then, you know, the, 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 uh, the overlord at the time was just, it's, it's King Lear and, and you know, the whole, the whole nine yards. Everybody knows who this is, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then the other one in the GWF, uh, and, and this really isn't a bad way to do it, but when uh, Jack Diamonds came in, I brought him in, in as, as the mysterious executioner with, with the, the old, no one knows where this man came from. But he was wrestling as a heel for the for the Overlord, in a mask in the whole nine yards, and and then later revealed himself that he's you know uh, actual King's son. The the problem is you know I was sending out these newsletters at the time, and everybody got the same set of cards. So everybody I'm doing this like who is the mysterious executioner? Everybody knows who the executioner is. It's freaking jacket card already. Uh, you know, so, I mean, it, it makes sense to do it, I guess, as a, uh, a federation thing, you know, in, in a vacuum, but when you're sending out a newsletter to 15 or 20 people, they all know who the mysterious executioner is already. So, um, that may not have been a, you know, a, a bright shining moment. Um, in the NWF, when I did my initial setup, so Pedro Martinez's fed had, uh, the NWF world title and the North American title is their singles championships. So when I set mine up, I had my NWF title and I made a US title. Now, why I did the US title instead of the North American title, I have no idea. It just, it, but I realized later on, I'm like, why the hell did I even do this? So I brought in Mil Moscaris as the America's champion uh, who you know entered the Fed with the belt and set up a match with him and Ted DiBiase uh, and then was going to, who was my U.S. title holder, and was going to have them fight and unite the belts, and then that would become the North American title, and I figured, okay, this will be a great way to bring Moscaris in and do some stuff with him, and of course, DiBiase wins the match, so, <laughs> so, that, so that didn't work out too great for me. Um, you got Moscaris to job? I got Moscaris to job to Ted DiBiase, yeah. He ruled with um, an iron fist in that promotion. That was it. Um, one thing that was, I, I don't know if it's good or bad, but I, I did, I did have Bruce Brody and, uh, win the tag titles with Jimmy Snuka and I then had him leave the promotion. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's one of those where I said, I wanted to do something like that with Brody cause he's the perfect guy to do it. Right. But it was right after he, he won the tag belts with Snuka and when they were scheduled for their first defense, he's gone. So um snooker was allowed to pick a new 
partner. And then I think I, I think I had uh, Volkov and, and Kowalski as the masked executioners back then, and they were going to fight them at the the, the next big show. But I, they, you know, that that just kind of you know, I basically handcuffed myself. Just but I wanted to do it, mm-hmm. and that just seemed like the time to do it. And probably the goofiest thing I did in the NWF was when uh, fr- early on when Frank Gotch got uh, beat up pretty bad. I love this. And, and I, I mentioned this in an earlier podcast as well. Um, but I said he had a concussion and he, was, he, he would fight with the concussion. And so he would fight against, say, Nikolai Volkov and he kept calling him like Hackenschmidt. <laughs> And then he would fight the Iron Sheik and he'd call him the Great Gamma. So he thought he was fighting all these different guys because of the concussion, um, which, you know, nowadays with concussion protocols and things like that, probably not a very PC thing to do uh, <laughs> either. But, um, but that was probably the goofiest thing I did early on in my, in my NWF. So th- those, I think, would be my, uh, my kind of stinker angles that I did. Nothing comparing to the anal probe of Lord Nexus, though. That uh, that takes the cake. Hey, I did. I did think of anal probe. (laughs) Oh, it wasn't. Oh, I thought you said anal probe. I did think of a GWF later one that was kind of a goofball one, but I liked it. Can I? Yeah, regale that. So confession. So like when. Oh my God! It would have been like when the GWF was going to Centra. I had, how the hell did I have this? I know Alpha and Chaos were teaming at that point, I think, but I had them still feuding. They were fighting for the, I didn't say that the Alpha Stone was imaginary or whatever Tom thought. Um, So I had that they were fighting for the stone and Alpha grabbed it and Star Wars was in the ring next to him and it blew up and it like vaporized him. And then the GWF went to Centra and when they got, you know, those were their older cards or I mean, they're, they were older at time. They're more veteran cards. So they were later uh, cards, later cards in their careers. Yeah. They get there and it, it turns out that as the cruiser was going to Centra or whatever, part of the reason it got to Centra is because it picked up this energy trail from the blown up alpha stone and Star Wars and Alpha uh, Force are there, but Star Wars is Avenging Warrior. And then Alpha Force is also a heel. And because on the Super Friends, when they fought the evil one, you know, like Batman and Robin had facial hair and stuff. So Alpha had an, an, an evil goatee, <laughs> like on Space Ghost <laughs> with his brother. So that way I could use the Avenging Warrior card and then I use the original Alpha Force card. So they get there and it's like there's these two heel guys. So which really all this means is that Mike Molesky ripped me off for Future Shot. Come on, people. <laughs> and, and that's where I stopped playing. So I have told Mike, it's like, well, you know, my guys are still in Centra. So maybe I'll I'll weave the Future Shock folks into there someday too there if, I, if I start up my GBF. But that was a little screwball, but I always did like the the evil alternate dimension folks. Excellent. <laughs> well, as I was again, going over some results, I, I found more bad than good. So I'll try to keep it short here. Um, I remember. So again, I started with the classic sets, uh, 79 and 86. And there was an angle where sin and salvation polarity uh, injured. I think it was Wolf. I think it was his, his 2086 card. Uh, and this was the original feud table, you know, just, kind of the basic roles there your ally comes in injures them it was like a spike pile driver 
And I thought, well, but salvation's described as this really, you know, goody goody guy. And I mean, obviously, that's how their planet worked is that the, the evil and the good had to work together. So I had Sin pick up Wolf and the pile driver and hold him there and say, you know, come on, help me. And Salvation's like, no, no, I can't. He's like, but you've got to help me. This is how we work together. So he's standing there holding him in the pile driver for the longest time. And Salvation reluctantly spikes him. And they and they put Wolf out for a couple of cards. But see, he wasn't pleased with himself. But at the same time, he was pleased because he did his job. So it was just this conflict. Um, so there was that. Um, talking about croc and shooting things so i did an angle <laughs> i've talked before about my my gangsta's team of creeper and sectarian um so there was an angle where uh croc and okay now little history here this was around late 96 early 97 and fans will remember that there was the angle on monday night raw where brian Pillman came into steve austin's house with a gun so i had um i was kind of playing off the timeliness of that and I said that Crockett shot sectarian in the ring and that people, and that all these security guards swarmed Crockett and, and he said, no, it was just a tranquilizer. It wasn't, you know, a bullet or anything deadly and, and tried to play it off. Like it wasn't that big of a deal. So, uh, you know, no, no punishment for Crockett, but that was just tied in with real life wrestling and things that were going on there. Uh, and then another, I mean, I don't know if you'd call this an angle, but it was a bad idea. And, and Tim can vouch for me on this. There was the Triton truck match. Now, what was the Triton truck match? Well, oh dear God! <laughs> again, I, I, going, I was hoping we were never going to go down this road on the Triton, Triton truck. Oh, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. So the Triton truck. Longtime fans will remember WCW did this once, and there's a reason they did it once. They had the the King of the Road match. It was Blacktop Bully and Dustin Rhodes, where they fought on the back of a truck, and it ended up both guys got fired because they they bled on the match and weren't supposed to do that. But I, you know, I was new to Champions of the Galaxy. I love trying to come up with ways of like, how can this match in real life wrestling work within the game? So I wanted to do a, a truck match and it was called, I looked up the planets and there was Triton that started with the TR. So we're going to have the Triton truck. And basically the way it worked was you had a chart for the rolled on, I think for the, the four main charts and you had to raise the opponent's pin rating to like 12 or something like that. So it was kind of like a beat them, you know, beat them until they're beaten type of thing. And the first time I did it, it was a great match. It was massive. And Bishop held, they'd had a feud. I'm like, well, we're going to end this on the Triton truck. And it was a great four-star match, massive win. Now I realized massive was a mountain climber. So I don't know why, but it, it, this is going to be his match. So years later, end of sudden death, he and Chopper Maddox, his former partner, they're going to have the blow off on the Triton truck. Well, one of the results that I put in the Triton truck rules was that the truck hits a bump and the cage and the truck falls apart. Both wrestlers fall off and get injured and the match ends in a no contest. And so that's what happened to the blow off to this feud. Uh, Massif never wrestled again. Of course, you know, in the storyline, he, he retired uh, from wrestling. So I said that it was a career ending injury to Massif and um, he was never able to wrestle again. And then <laughs> Commissioner Carter, I believe it was at the time, said we're never going to have this match again and we never did so that was the that was the story of the triton truck match and i i, I ran the triton truck once uh once uh and and got that same result and i'm like i am never doing this match again <laughs> so yeah 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 it seemed you know it was trying to play off real life wrestling i did that a lot with some of my my storylines and there's a reason i shouldn't have 
Um, Tim, didn't you invent the high seas match? (laughs) I did invent the high seas match, which was kind of like, I I think there's a match out there with, I think it's Gorgeous George and somebody. And and the Mm -hmm. the Mass Marvel. And the Mass Marvel, where they're, they're basically in the middle of this like huge swimming pool type thing in an arena. And they have to get out there on, you know, there's a, there's a referee in a boat. Yep. And I had the same thing. I had a floating ring and it. And if you were an aquatic anti-man, your power and agility actually went up uh, in this match or got better, uh, I should say. Uh, But uh, yeah, yeah, that was a horrible uh, debacle of a match as well, because I I tried, I think I tried doing that and I, I, got halfway through it one time and I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to scrap this and go with another, with another stipulation because this is just terrible. But I had the same thing where he basically, you know, you could have the boat capsize and you couldn't get out of the ring then, and you couldn't get back to the, the, you know, solid ground. Oh my God, it was terrible. That was just a horrible match. You're not promoters. We'll make sure these get in the ringside companion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll work on a mind control match to get <laughs> You know, oh. one last bad one I have to share talking about gimmick matches. I, this but you're one not I done. Never, oh, no. One, <laughs> I just, well, the high seas match reminded me of this, and I shared this with Chad. It never actually got used in my Fed. It was just kind of something that never became official, but there was the backyard barbecue or backyard brawl match, <laughs> which was took place. You don't remember this, Chad? No. <laughs> well, it took place at Commissioner Grogan or whichever commissioner, who is, whoever the active commissioner was, was having a family barbecue. <laughs> Two wrestlers. <laughs> oh, my God. No, no, keep it in. This is real life. <laughs> While having a barbecue, Commissioner, Gro- <laughs> Commissioner Grogan's house, two feuding wrestlers decided to settle their differences there. <laughs> there were all kinds of spots like you, you could, you could get, you could fight into a sandbox. Uh, you could uh, the, the big spot of the match, you know, inspired by hardcore wrestling, was that one wrestler. Um, <laughs> Get slammed onto a flaming grill <laughs> while they're having the cookout. You're the grill going. You're cooking your burgers. <laughs> Somebody gets slammed on the flaming grill. <laughs> That's pretty. Stellar. And that was before this uh, brimstone exploding ring match. So. <laughs> now here's a question. Oh my goodness. Would oh, Antac yes. have an advantage or a disadvantage in a match involving oh. a picnic? <laughs> Good, good question. question. Promoters, leave us your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> or not. That's well, up to you, promoter. You know what? Here, I mean, here's one other horrible thing that I booked in the CWA. I had Blazing Skull <laughs> in a battle royal, and he went off. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And he blew up, blew up Turbo, who was one of our NGO guys. Hey, I love Turbo. <laughs> yeah. I, I They were fighting at the time, so I said he was engulfed with the flames. And then (laughs) (laughs) Turbo came back later under a mask in a full body suit with a a clone of Crossfire. And they both wore these like kind of like Bam Bam Bigelow body suits with a mask. And they were called the Infernos and they went after Blazing Skull and stuff. So, but yeah, don't, don't put Blazing Skull in a battle royal, folks. (laughs) It's a, yeah, a battle royal ending without a winner. <laughs> it's 
some good book in there. All right. Well, I'm sure we've had some some other bad ideas, but uh, let's let's end on that note for tonight. Um, for our next episode, Chad and Stu are going to be unavailable, so uh, we're going to air some audio next time uh, that uh, Todd recorded for us as part of the WWWA World Heavyweight Title Tournament, and uh, maybe Tim and I will be back with some other news and notes. We'll see. We'll see what happens, but. Our next episode with the full panel will be in two weeks and we'll have Mark Ashby back to talk about a couple of the uh, Club Galactica Super Reports. Um, before we get to our shout outs, uh, promoters, any, anybody want to give any updates on their WWWA territory? Stu? Well, I just posted my second card. Uh, Excellent. In which Buddy Rogers defeated his rival, his chief rival, rival Jim Londos for the United States Heavyweight Championship. Uh, Crusher in his cohorts, Jackie Fargo, Coco Beware, uh, their tensions are running high against the evil foreign menaces, and they will in fact headline the next card with a big six-man tag match, Crusher, Fargo, and Coco Beware against Iron Sheet, Nikolai Volkov, and Boris Zukov. So those are the big events going on in my particular Fed. And there's some interesting uh, dynamics going on between Rock Riddle and his charges, Buddy Rogers, Johnny Valentine, and to a lesser extent, Greg Valentine. All does not seem to be well, but we'll, we'll have to see how that unfolds as we move along in Star Spangled Wrestling history. Also on the next card, which I failed to put in my notes under the uh, card that I just posted, We'll be having a big rematch in the semi-main event with Blackjack Mulligan versus Killer Kowalski. They battled to a DQ on card number one. So those are the happenings in Star Spangled Wrestling Corps. Thanks for that update, Stu. Tim, what's going on in the South Coast? I, uh, I, I just posted, uh, I think on Tuesday, results of my third card uh, with uh, the, uh, the main event. Bob Armstrong winning by DQ uh, over Magnificent Morocco and Destroyer beating Jerry Briscoe, but but he Briscoe gave it to him the whole match and it was it was just a really good match. Um, and I'm looking forward to uh, show number four, which will be my first one in one of the major cities, uh, Dothan, Alabama, at the Houston County Farm Center, which I uh, from my what I've read had a dirt floor, uh, so that's kind of interesting and unique. Uh, I think, and that will uh, have as the main event the first uh, match with Harley Race against Ted DiBiase, who is uh, his his first contender for the uh, first major contender for the uh, the South Coast Championship. So we'll see how that goes. Wonderful. We look forward to reading that. Chad, how about the Western States? Well, I'm trying to get stats done for the TNT Hall of Fame set, so I have not had a chance to run any more shows. So I do have a lot of stuff booked out through about five or six cards, but it's just uh, putting putting fingers to the keyboard for COTG Online or dice to the table. So I will try to get that done soon, but um, that that's why there's a bit of a pause, fans. That's okay. It'll be worth the wait. Uh, I've played out my first full house show after the TV tapings in St. Paul. Um, I'm kind of waiting to post the results just because, you know, we're kind of playing this historically or kayfabe. It, uh, my card takes place after the world title tournament. Since we haven't posted those results yet, I'm going to wait till uh, we get those posted and, uh, and then I'll post the results of that. But I've got my next TV taping pretty much booked out in the next um, monthly house show. That'll be in, uh, we'll head over the border to Wisconsin to Green Bay area, technically Ashwaubenon, Wisconsin, 
and uh, the Brown Put County Arena. Yeah, yeah, Brown County Arena uh, for the next uh, the next big monthly show. So we'll get those St. Paul uh, results posted soon. All right, uh, gentlemen, as we uh, start to wrap up here, let's give any shout outs or anything that you would like to plug. Tim, let's go to you first. I just want to thank everybody for listening as always. And, uh, you know, I'm glad you could listen to us talk about our, you know, things we thought were good and, and things we definitely know are bad about uh, our booking styles. So if you've done anything, you know, horrible yourselves, feel free to share and, uh, uh, and, and we'll all, I'm sure we'll all get a good laugh about it. Um, but uh, one thing was, was uh, one of these celebrity deaths that I think kind of went by the wayside that, that people didn't really notice. Uh, a woman that, that uh, young Tim had a crush on back in the 70s because she was on all these different uh, TV sitcoms and things like that. She'd show up as, as just like a guest star. Uh, Arlene Galanka, who, who clearly did not change her name uh, because if, if you could change your name, I don't think you would change it to Arlene Galanka. But I just always, always had, I was crushing on her uh, as a youngster and uh, uh, was just very sad to see that she, she had passed away. Can you name some of the shows where she's been a, a guest star or anything that people would know? Really, she, she was one of those people, she would just kind of show up on like all the 70s sitcom type shows. Okay. She, sometimes she would play like a ditzy blonde. Sometimes she would be like a girlfriend of somebody, but she, wasn't, she, she didn't have a recurring role on anything. She was, just, okay. it was more of a one-off type role that she would have. And she was in a few movies and, and things as well, but okay. um, just always, always thought she was something. Okay. She is perhaps best known for playing Millie Hutchins on the television comedy, The Andy Griffin Show, and Millie Swanson on Mayberry RFD and often, often played bubbly, eccentric blondes and supporting characters in roles on stage, film, and television. Ah, excellent. Thank you, brother. I think I kind of recognize her probably from Andy Griffin. Go ahead, Chad. Any shout outs or any, uh, any things you'd like to plug this week? I want to thank everybody who took time to um, comment on the, the last couple of episodes. It's nice to see a lot of chatter in there. Afterwards, people talk about things like their favorite bands, Weird Al's UHF, their dream sets. Um, I love UHF. Uh, I think, uh, who was it? Troy mentioned that that was the first time he ever saw Michael Richards. My first Michael Richards remembrance was in the classic movie transylvania six five thousand if anybody remembers that yes yeah i do and it's got an amazing spot it, it builds that match builds to an amazing spot with michael richards that i i will tell you off air because i honestly cannot explain it without bursting out in laughter <laughs> we've done enough of that <laughs> yeah we've had enough silliness um also good questions about signing mil Moscaris and some of the japanese wrestlers talking about some of the legends artists we brought up the horrible story of, of tim and his missing angelo mosca picture that was oh. uh taken by that guy i don't remember who he was um yeah and anybody took time to to say hello um you know or offer comments on the on the chat we appreciate that we appreciate you listening and uh everybody stay safe out there and we'll talk to you soon very good Stu. Well, as has kind of been my want in the last couple of shows, I wanted to point out a couple of feds that I've been following uh, as of late, which I think are fun. They're both by the same promoter uh, on the discussion board. I'm looking them up and make sure I don't butcher their name. He's got one in GWF and he's got one in L or in the uh, Legends section. 
Uh, it's Victory Roll 84, has oh, his yeah. LWF Super World Tour. And in the champions section, let me make sure I get this right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, obviously the same promoter, Victory Roll 84, the GWF Galaxy Tour. I've been following these feds for a little while. Uh, and it, it, they're well written. He tends to be a little bit of a minimalist, which I, I like. He has like two to three match cards, which appeals to me at this stage of the game and just keeps a nice orderly, just fun fed in both, both the legends world and in the uh, champions world, which is fun to read and uh, puts a lot of effort into it and has been doing it for quite a while. So I commend or recommend those two feds to our, our fellow promoters. Number two, I, and I texted you guys uh, this earlier in the week. I, I am very interested to see what's going to happen with Braun Strowman and um, to a lesser extent, Alistair Black. I, I like Alistair Black more. I think he's got more potential in AEW. And it, one, well, they just had, we're starting to push him again in WWE. Ooh. So it's interesting as to why he got cut now. And Corey, you, you did the nail on the head. I mean, Strowman was in the, the main event of uh, WrestleMania just last year. So not quite getting it, but uh, I, and I don't know how he would fit in visually uh, in AEW, but I'll be fascinated to watch it. Uh, it's a pretty big name, no pun intended, uh, with Strowman coming out of WWE. So I'm personally just interested to see what's going to happen there. Other than that, let me see if I can get this uh, good night Denmark done one more time. I'm <laughs> really try. I think it is good night Denmark. Wunderbar. Well, you know, you when you say that, you just sound like you're the midget from Twin Peaks. You're not really speaking <laughs> in Danish. You're just like they they run it forward, they run it backwards, and crazy. <laughs> sounds good to me. Oh, I hit the yeah. Dan. <laughs> so hey, I got one other thing that I forgot to in my may I may I have a few seconds on the floor, please. Thank you, you Corey. You're a gracious host. So uh, this afternoon, Todd did announce that. Uh, the TNT Hall of Fame set will be an eight-card set, not a ten-card set. Um, you know, originally I had forgotten that we did ten cards last year, so I'm like, sure, we'll do ten. But then as we started looking at things, I think it would be better for the the pacing and continuing to have one next summer to do a, a smaller set. But here's my offer for you fans. If you're not blown away by at least one person in this upcoming set, I will punch on the air via cameo anyone else on this podcast right in the schnoz. Yes, we will tape on camera violence, but you cannot tell me that one of the big names in this upcoming set, names that have not been announced yet, there are names that have been announced like Thunderbolt Patterson. You're going to love this set. This set is going to be fantastic. Amen. That's my prediction. And if not, I'll just punch Corey and Tim. At the I, Hall of Fame, Chad. There's there, odds are you're going to punch us in Waterloo at some point over the weekend. So, I mean, you true, yeah. <laughs> true. Yeah. yeah, regardless of what the promoters think, there's yes. definitely going to be some punching going on. So, right. Well, <laughs> yeah. we'll have, yeah. we'll give Zeke the video camera and see what happens. A little That's punchy. Right. Oh, and I will say too that we've already started getting a lot of the sketches uh, yes. for the set, and Warner's doing a really good job. Yes. Really, really impressed. Mm -hmm. Excited yeah, to see the set. Yep. And uh, yes, Chad, that was a great promo for the new set. This is going to be a really great set promoters. And if, if you're disappointed, well, shame on you. No, there, there are some huge names in this set. Um, I think there'll be some surprises. You know, some might have been guessed, but you know what? It's going to be a great set. So if you don't like it, tough. 
All or right, he's just saying game. that so he doesn't get punched. <laughs> no, no. I, I I expect a punch at some point. So, all right. Boom! You just don't know when. That's right. That's it's a right. Sucker punch, sucker. Going going back to Alistair Black for a second, Stu. Did you know he's in the game? Yeah, I did. I actually okay. had his card is okay. Like Tommy End or something like correct, that. Correct, correct. Yeah. Tommy End. Yep. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure because you know we a few few episodes ago we were surprised by who was in the game and that. Yeah. So I like I like playing that game. All right, let's wrap this up here. I'll say uh, thanks to our fellow uh, podcasters and YouTubers, Grant at the Phil Singer Games Fan Podcast, uh, Sam, Mike, and Todd at Roll Up, and w- as well as uh, King of Pro Wrestling for Sam, Steve Tower from After Further Review, and Dave Little from Heartland Championship Wrestling. Keep up the great content, guys. Keep it coming. Uh, it's a great time to be a promoter and a great time to be on the internet. So, uh, And with that, we're going to end this week's episode. Again, thanks, everybody, for listening and downloading, and we will talk to you again soon. Hey promoters, it's Corey again. Just a reminder that we'd love to hear from you. If you have questions, comments, or topic suggestions for Uncharted Territory, please leave us an audio message. You can go to anchor.fm backslash Corey-Olson5. That's C-O-R-Y hyphen O-L-S-O-N, the number five. Click the message button and record a one-minute message. Or you can email your question or audio question to our email address, utpodcast. 2020 at gmail.com. That's UT Podcast and the numbers 2020 at gmail.com. We might include your content in a future episode of Uncharted Territory. The 2021 George Tragos Luthez Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame Induction Weekend takes place July 15th through 17th in Waterloo, Iowa. Come see many of the legends of wrestling and the future stars of the sport. This year's award winners include former WWE and UFC star, the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock. Former WWE champion and Olympic powerlifter, Mark Henry. Six-time former WWE women's champion, Trish Stratus. And the dean of professional wrestling, Gordon Soley. And this year's 2021 Hall of Fame class features Iowa's own Earl Wampler. Former NWA World Tag Team Champion, Don Kernodal. And former WWE Tag Team Champion and Manager, Adnan Al Casey. In addition to honoring these wrestling legends, a great card of wrestling action will be presented on Friday night at the Five Sullivan Brothers Center. This card will be brought to you by Impact Pro Wrestling, one of the top independent promotions in the Midwest today. Come check out the Hall of Fame Classic Tournament, featuring some of the top young wrestlers today, including Cole Cabana, Brian Pillman Jr., Madman Fulton, Dominic Garini, Gary J., Jeremy Wyatt, and more. And for the first time in Hall of Fame weekend history, a women's tournament will take place featuring Heather Monroe, Red Velvet, and Miranda Gordy. Meet several of the legends of wrestling's past, such as James J. Dillon, Jerry Briscoe, Mr. USA Tony Atlas, Sergeant Slaughter, and more. Also meet legendary wrestling coach and American wrestler Dan Gable. Get autographs from these stars in one of the most fan-friendly wrestling fan fests around. For the complete list of guests, check out the Luthez George Tragos Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame page on Facebook. For all access passes, call 319-233-0745 or visit the link in the podcast notes. Again, that's 319-233-0745. The 22nd Annual George Tragos Luthez Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame Induction Weekend, July 15th through 17th in Waterloo, Iowa.